Hello and welcome to another episode of Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. I'm Dave Cohen. And we are not joined by our producer Katie, for once, who's uh, busy doing uh, work that pays her properly. Mm. So, uh, hello, Katie. Real job. Real job. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, We're going to be looking at some first ten pages today. We've got three scripts to look at. But before that, we're going to talk briefly about crowdfunding. Yes, because uh, recently... uh Brenda Gilhooley, the uh, stand-up comedian, writer, and uh, Gail Tuesday in another uh, character that she plays. Um, and she has written a sitcom for herself called The Mayoress, and she's been uh, crowdfunding it. Uh, she's got a very good uh, cast in there, people like Harry Hill, Jack D. Um, so that's kind of a, a, obviously um, an advantage. But uh, I know, James, recently you... Um, uh, crowdfunded the uh, DVD for your play, The God yes, Particle. That's you? right, yeah, not quite in the same category as uh, Brenda Gilhooley in terms of uh, my play was not done by Jack D. Uh, <laughs> but exactly, <laughs> so. considerably less yeah. money as well. But well, no, it's interesting because it's now a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Crowdfunding is now a thing, and they've yeah. made sort of one off TV specials of, I think, like Veronica Mars or programmes that sort of were cancelled and the fans wanted them to continue. And right, yeah. So it's now yeah. a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I, I feel slightly mixed about it. Yeah. Um, I used uh, Kickstarter because I knew what I wanted to do. It was, I effectively used it as a way of pre-selling DVDs um, of a play to most to people who I thought mostly had already seen it. Right. Um, so we were touring it, and yeah, and um, people were aware of this play going into churches and schools and stuff, and so. There, you know, we weren't trying to raise a huge amount of money, and we did. We didn't raise a huge amount of money, and I was going to do the DVD anyway, so I thought I might as well do a Kickstarter, and yeah. sort of, so that's quite a small uh, project, and I'm really pleased with that. And actually, of all the things I, I made, it might use Kickstarter, and just said, don't even think about it. Use Kickstarter; they're so user friendly and easy, and I have to say they were brilliant. Yeah. Um, but this this Brendigalhuli thing is on a slightly new scale, and it, it worries me a little bit. Yeah. Um, what, it, it, why, why does it worry you? The thing that worries me is you've got some big names involved and you're thinking, does a, does a channel not want this? Hmm. In which case, why doesn't a channel want this? So there's, there's that worry. Is, it, is, this, is this actually not any good? Um, which, which may or may not be the case because I don't know whether, you know, or is this hmm. not wanted? But then also you think... There are, there are people involved in this who have a lot of money why are they asking me for money right but then the more the more worrying thing for me is does this just make broadcasters more risk averse and they say well they can find the money and make their own pilot mm-hmm. and that, that this yeah. is going to be the future right is that is that Jack D's Twitter feed is going to be promoting his next pilot and the public are going to pay for it and then ITV get to make a series of it if they like the pilot that yeah. they haven't paid for Right. That's that's the trajectory that I'm worried about that yeah. we're not in yet, but that's my worry. I can see that, but I can also see how, to some extent, I think that's I, I guess that's kind of already happening. Obviously, not for so much for Jack D, and Harry Hill, but for for somebody like Brenda, for instance, who is a successful person but not a household name. Uh, how how do you then? Um, 
literally, as you say, kick kickstart your your career when, as we know, it's already very very hard to to get things made. Surely it's just you know it's one more way of getting things made. I was I was sort of thinking more in terms of we've discussed in the past as well about whether you should put your sketches on YouTube. Yes. And um, you you always said that I think you, you you're, you're right about this is you know, make make something on radio. <laughs> yeah. Don't just do, do an audio. Audio you can do a lot more. But well, what about maybe an audio sitcom do you think that would be a good idea that's possible I mean I think I, I, I'm not an expert in Kickstarter at all all I know is that I I ran one to raise a modest amount of money and I know I have enough people who I know would put in for it my worry is that people start doing Kickstarters for Edinburgh right. of shows and they start mm-hmm. doing Kickstarters for a show that doesn't doesn't have an automatic following of any kind at which point it then becomes a charity Right, and that doesn't strike me as a particular solid basis. No, and mm-hmm. and TV is expensive to do. So if you are going to do it, you know you do need to raise money to do it properly. Um, because one of the reasons I was I was skeptical about doing sketches for YouTube is that they just don't look very good. Yeah, and it's very expensive to get them to look good. So you do need to make raise some so money to do it for a thirty minute sitcom. Not multiply that by you know several zillion, really, isn't it? Well, yes. I mean, it's I mean, a half an hour sketch. sitcom is going to cost you two hundred and fifty thousand pounds to compete mm. with what's on TV. Mm. So you think, well, even a two minute sketch, you're looking at a few thousand pounds, um, just for one idea. You know, just for something that's ninety seconds, for something that's 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 good and professional. Which is why I think if you can think of a format that doesn't need to look really polished, if you can think of a, a very vlog-based character or something that you can do well, but also do using the camera on your laptop, then great, but not every idea lends itself right. um, to that. Yeah. It's really tricky because there are so many ways in which you can literally kickstart something, but it's just a question of picking which is the right one and I think yeah. sometimes people think that if they can just get a few good sketches onto YouTube that will that will kickstart a career mm. and it, it, it probably won't because it probably won't be found and it mm. probably might show promise but won't necessarily lead to work or yeah. I don't know yeah. Am I being too negative? No, no. I, it's a, it, you know, the, the, there's a phenomenal amount of stuff out there, and for every, I mean, I can think of two or three people who who's who have started out with things on YouTube and have kind of developed a career out of that. But uh, I think for every two or three that I can think of, I'm sure there must be hundreds, thousands who have have tried as well, and are uh, and, and that's as far as they've got. So. I think the the other thing that people neglect is is actually comedy blogging, for example, which is pure writing. You're not making yeah. anything that's audio. Um, there's somebody who lives um, lives near me. They're in Dorset, I think, and she writes a a, um, a very funny blog about running a bed and breakfast in Dorset, and it's very rural. And she's mm. got a really strong voice in that area, and she's quite she's quite robust in her views. Right. Um, and about the people that stay in her bed and breakfast as well, sort of uh-huh. anonymising it and stuff. Right. And you think, oh, that's great. It feels like you're getting a real window on a world. And mm. you look at it and you think, well, that could be a, that could be a book, that could yeah. be a TV show, that could yeah, be a yeah. radio show. But at the moment, it's just a blog and it's great. Oh, yeah. So if you can think of something like that and effectively write fiction or yeah. write a diary type thing mm-hmm. or something like that, 
I think that's another way to go. Yeah. That costs nothing. Mm. You know, that costs literally nothing. Except for your time. Except for your time, and that's... But with that's not. the amount of time, and I can speak from the experience of um, putting on a new live show, uh, which I've been doing for the last couple of months. Uh, that also takes a lot of time that's nothing to do with writing. Yes. And getting people to come to see your show, whatever. It's uh, a lot of work. Yeah, especially in London, um, mm. where that you're competing. I mean, we, we did the last tour of the God Particle at the end of May on a bank holiday Monday, so not an ideal night to do a mm. show, but, you know, with 15, 20 people. Mm. And uh, in a city of 8 million, you just assume that there'd be a big audience for stuff. Um, mm. And there isn't. Uh, you'd mm. be better off being in a pr- provincial town where yeah. people are slightly more grateful yeah. to have theatre and that kind of stuff. True. Um, so anyway so okay. um, that's it so uh, do email us if you have strong thoughts on that you can write to us uh, our email address is sitcomgeeks at gmail.com dot com yeah mm-hmm. and I'm on twitter I'm uh, at sitcomgeek and I'm at Cohen Dave so uh, so if you want to get in touch with that we also have a Facebook page which mm. you can like if you just look up sitcom geeks on yeah. Facebook uh, hopefully Facebook haven't taken taken it down or done Take an exception to anything objectionable that we may have written or oh. edited in some way. A bit of satire there, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, indeed. Uh, totally <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> so we're going to. Uh, so something that has happened is that people have sent us their first ten pages of their scripts, and we have been very bad at keeping on top of this, for which we apologise. But we are going to review three today, and we would also urge you to not send any more for now because we're not going to get round to them. We've got a bit of a backlog. We will let you know. Uh, if, as, and when we're able to read more. Um, but uh, which one should we start with? I'm just going to pull up on screen uh, my notes that I've right. written. Uh, this will be a surprise for me. Uh, we're going to look at SOS by Ben Moore. All right, okay. So SOS by Ben Moore is a sitcom set in a charity shop. Mm-hmm. And... In uh, the first 10 pages, which you can look... If you go to the Facebook group, you'll be able to see a link to a secret page on my blog where I post the script, so you can download a PDF of it and uh, read along. I'd be, I'd be really interested to know if anyone actually does that and whether they find it useful yeah. or not. Yeah, no, um, it would be good to know. But it would be good to know. Um, I don't think we've been reviewing enough uh, we episodes, really, for people to uh, no. have caught on that that's a thing to do. Yes, really. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Let's make that clear. So um, in SOS by Ben Moore, there's a charity shop. Uh, there's uh, a lady called Lisa in her early 30s. There's Jenny, who's 10 years older dressed more sensibly um, she's not in charge and this annoys her there's a guy called David in his mid 40s there's Nick and uh, they go into so scene one's very short scene two they're in the sorting mm. room where they're sorting through stuff there's a mention of Stephen coming for a visit tomorrow uh, and there's um, uh, a display unit from head office that David can put up tomorrow and um uh, talk of uh, Lisa the branch manager is going to a conference um, that's going to be tomorrow as well uh, tomorrow sounds like a very exciting day hmm. and um, scene three is on the shop floor where there is a customer which is always good to have a customer in the place that you've established and then in scene four uh, later in that day they're in the staff room and they're talking about stuff and also the um, a cabinet falls off a wall and uh, various other bits and pieces. Unfortunately, you can probably tell from my tone of voice that I wasn't crazy about this. 
Right. I mean, for, uh, interestingly as well, just uh, the way that you were describing that, and the, the, the first scene uh, is like a, a quick visual gag, um, which, is, which is fine, and uh, it's, um, it's a little sort of throwaway visual gag. But um, in the writing, we, we, there are, uh, the actual quick visual gag is preceded by eight lines of character description. And there are these four different people, uh, the, who, at least two of whom you mentioned there. Um, and a lot of information about these people. And then suddenly this thing happens that's kind of nothing to do with them. And then we're straight away, we're into the, the second scene. And there's two more characters. Uh, and then the two people who were talking in the previous scene come in. And so we're actually, we're on to page two, and we're into our first little bit of dialogue, but all I've read so far is sort of stuff about the six, six other characters, and I don't really know, I don't, I don't get a kind of comic sense of, of, of a great deal about them. Um, and, so, and, and so far, that they haven't featured in, in the story. And yeah. I think you need to... That's the first thing that I would say is, you know, when, especially when you've got a new script and you're, you're showing it to people, and we don't know any of these people at all. Ideally, if you've got a scene and there's two people in that scene, you, you just describe those two people for that scene and then go on to the next bit. Um, so that, that was, for me, that was the first sort of confusing thing. So the first two or three pages, um, there, there ends up being a conversation between the two women that you mentioned, yeah. uh, one who thinks Lisa she should and be Jenny. in charge and the yeah. one who isn't. And I'm kind of a little bit confused because there's so much, I'm still carrying so much information about all these other people yeah. and, and um, not quite, nothing, yeah. nothing's happened yet. Yes. Um, so Ben, who's written this, we're sorry, Ben, that we're having a bit of a yeah. fixation on the first two pages, but... Um, I hope that this can be a lesson to learn from for you, but also for other people. So by the end of page two, you have introduced six characters. Um, You've introduced Lisa, Jenny, David, Nick. Only Lisa has a line in that first um, scene, which which is only one line of speech. And then Lisa and Jenny leave that scene. So you didn't need to tell us about David and Nick because they didn't have any lines anyway. You've told us um, what they look like and all that kind of stuff didn't need any of that and then they walk into a room and you introduce Elsie an elderly lady and Richard in his early 20s and Lisa and Jenny then speak for the whole page so by the end of page um, by the end of page two you've introduced six characters but only two people have actually spoken so you just need to have an eye to the fact that I don't know who any of these characters are and therefore if possible which I think would be possible in this case you just need to be aware that you just need to let give the reader a bit of time just to catch up. So you, you didn't need to mention those other two characters in the first scene. You could have told us about Lisa briefly. You could have told us about Jenny very briefly, done the visual joke, walked into the next scene. Great to start with a joke. So I'm not quibbling that at all. Great. Mm-hmm. But then they walk in and then you tell us about two more people who then don't speak. And then they can you know. So it's just a question of having an... Making it as easy to read as possible. Always think to yourself, who is reading this? A producer who is tired, who has too many scripts to read. They are looking for something wonderful that will be the next big thing for them. But equally, if, they've, if after two or three pages they're tired, bored and confused, then they're probably not going to get much further than page four or five. So you just want to keep it as simple as possible. 
and um, so that that would probably um, help. Um, I've got a few more bits and pieces, but Dave, do you want to yeah. say something else? Yes, I think yeah, some very nice uh, jokes in here. There's a, a nice joke about Little Red Riding Hood, um, which I enjoyed, and there's an, also a nice one. There's an, a motivational email comes from the uh, from the boss, and uh, it uh, starts, "Dear team," and uh, <laughs> someone says, "Oh, that's nice." You know, he's uh, talking to us collectively. Uh, yeah, well, actually, he just he can't remember our names, um, <laughs> which I thought was a very nice gag. And um, there's there's a sort of quite an interesting potentially there's a there's a sort of good plot idea here they're in a charity shop uh not a huge amount is happening i have to say in the first in these first 10 pages um but there there is a kind of quite long drawn out conversation where they talk about what what they're actually uh, raising money for which logically doesn't really make sense if you're in shelter say uh your shop's called shelter or your shop's called help the aged it's sort of fairly obvious but i mean there there is a potentially interesting idea for instance let's say um it was shelter and it's a place for the homeless and that suddenly um some massive saudi arabian construction firm has uh, uh, offered to give you lots and lots of money and they'll um, they'll put up some a little hostel for the homeless and you suddenly you've got this sort of quite interesting dilemma that possibly for a, a charity shop you know well, should they get involved with big business and there's a lot, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues now about charity shops and about how uh, they're, they're kind of on the the high street and and the other shops kind of resent them because they don't have to pay such great rates and they're kind of competing with with other shops but uh, they're paying less so there's a there's a kind of lot of interesting stuff around charity shops but this feels like it's just I see a series of sketches in a charity shop. Really. It was a work for me. So there is a key bit where the person, yeah, you know, people running the shop don't know who the charity is mm. that they're the charity shop for. And for me, you think there's no such charity shop. Right. This shop doesn't exist. Yeah. Every charity shop is mm. for a specific charity, whether it's Oxfam mm. or for Mind or for a local hospice or something. Mm. There's no such thing as a generic charity shop. I mean, maybe there is. I've never heard of one. But what this did for me was made me think, oh, this writer's never been to a charity shop. Mm. Um, and it's something that I think Kevin Cecil talked about when we interviewed um, Andy and Kevin. And they said, it, it, do, do your research. Mm. And that he's read, you know, used to read, because he, he reads for the Rockcliffe Award thing, and he reads quite a lot of scripts where you think it's pretty obvious that the person is writing about something that they don't seem to know an awful lot about. For me, also the demographics of the people that work there just don't don't add up. Mm. Um, people of this age spread don't. Charity shops is mostly retired people who work there, plus a store manager who is in their twenties or thirties, for whom they are the paid one in their career. So, mm. it it felt like a workplace sitcom, yeah. which is fine, but people of these ages and this and who talk this way, for me, they don't work in charity shops. Mm. So that just kind of took me out of it, really. You, you can overcome these unrealities if you've just got something as ludicrously funny as Father Ted, hmm. where they're not really Catholic priests. I mean, we know, we know that they are for the show, but this, is, this isn't sort of nonsense, and it's, but it doesn't matter. But for me, I thought that was a real, that was a real worry, um, that, that, that I don't believe that this shop really exists. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Did you feel that, or did you not? Well, that's that's what I say. Is, is I, I think that if you, if you can find a way uh, of of 
within that idea, not so much of like we don't know what the charity is, but more that the charity is doing something that isn't what would be expected of that charity. Yeah, I think that yeah. might be a potentially more a interesting yeah. story. But no, you just you can't imagine. I mean, I'm just thinking of all the shops on my street. We've got RSPCA. Um, they wouldn't be sitting there going, "Oh, what's this? What? Who's getting the money?" I mean, I yeah, think yeah. it's yeah. fairly clear, really. Yeah. Um, so, as Dave says, there's sort of there, there is sort of stuff going on, um, but my worry is that by the time we reach um, page, uh, well, page ten really, yeah. nothing has actually happened, and what's um, what is interesting is you've got a bit where so I've just written it down here, where on page two and three. Lots of different things are introduced. So Steve will be coming, and he'll be coming to do appraisals. Okay, that's parked, move on. Yeah. Then there's the target for the week. Okay, what happens if they don't meet it? I don't know, they move on. There's a new book display unit from the head office. Someone's going to have to put that up. What if they don't do it very well? I don't know, move on. Lisa's going to a branch manager's conference. Okay, who's going to be in charge while she's away? Don't know, move on. So you've actually what you've done is you've set up four different plots. Yeah. But but it's interesting that in scene four they're sitting around having their lunch and those four plots don't they, seem they to have disappear. actually escalated in any yeah. way. Yeah. Um, they sort of felt like in fact they, they, they almost felt like sort of one congealed plot to me. It's a sort of, I could see how, all right, yes, this is the uh, the inspector's coming episode, which is a valid, valid episode, and we'll, we'll mention it later in another uh, sitcom we're reading, but um, it's a valid thing to do, uh, but what's the twist with it? Uh, well, maybe the twist is, oh, uh, that she's going to be away at this time, um, but... but as James says, everything is kind of left hanging, and we haven't we haven't really sort of we we don't move it on really. Yeah. So you know, I think those that people use it a lot now, jeopardy and stakes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Steve, you know, that's the other problem with the charity shop is can you shut a charity shop down? What happens if mm. that's an interesting thing again to explore? Is these people are volunteers presumably? Mm. So what happens? If, how do you fire a volunteer? Uh, you know what, yeah. what what sanction do you have? So um, I think you, you just need to bake that in very early. Exactly, if you don't mm. stop, we'll have to pay you, and then we can fire you. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really important that you that you just set these things up so that by page by the end of scene two, we're thinking, oh my goodness, if this doesn't happen, then they're all in real trouble. Or, and then the next scene, you've got another beat and that, and you sort of. Because otherwise, it's just gonna it's gonna drift, and then it's just people talking, um, which is the one thing that you really do need uh, to avoid. Um, I don't know whether it's a function of that or not, but also within stage directions, you've got quite a lot of telling us subtext. So you're sort of telling us what's it. So there's an offender of that on page five. David looks at Lisa. He knows that even though he's being goaded to wind him up, um, what she says is basically true. In a split second, he breaks. He has to do this for his flagging pride. Yikes. I mean, that's a long stage direction anyway, but you've sort of just told us all the subtext. Yes. And if it's not in the text, as it were, if it's not in the dialogue, then it's it's, it's not in the show. It has to be there. It has to be there. Mm. So um, It's in the wrong place. Yeah. So, so things like that are a bit of an alarm bell. But, you know, but you found an interesting... So, Ben, thank you for sending this in. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've got any more things to no, say. No, I think that's a good, uh, so, I think that's all valid uh, points. Yeah. So there, there are reasons to be cheerful. There are some good jokes. This is a perfectly mm. decent place for a sitcom. 
Um, but there's a lot to work on as well. Yeah. And there have the, been, and there has been, there was a charity sitcom some years ago called yes. Mr. Charity. In if fact. you look on my blog, um, there's a long interview with uh, Pete Sinclair, who's also mm-hmm. a friend of Dave, uh, where he does talk about it uh, a little yeah. bit as well. So, so you need to find a way of doing charity shops now. And there are a lot of things. Uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of things people think they know about charity shops now that in fact you can you can challenge them and yeah. you can look at what charity shops are now compared yeah. with what they were you know 10 15 years ago yeah. when I think the classic was you know that the, the Elsies yeah. those sort of people were in them and now it's it's very different and you need to do that because otherwise there's no yeah. reason for this show to exist if you see what I mean because otherwise it's just a bunch of people in a shop why why these people why this show mm. why why is this show on in 2016 um, because it's on TV is not an acceptable answer which is George Costanza's answer in Cypher <laughs> why am I watching this show because it's on TV <laughs> not yet uh, the commissioner yeah. says so thank you Ben um, I hope what we've said is helpful and not um, uh, too inducing of despair the next one is For Art's Sake by Martin Lowcock. And um, we've got, well, we've got two shows. We've got For Art's Sake, and then we're going to talk about the drama department. And the reason we've just taken those together is because they are about slightly overlapping things, and therefore they're very different, but something may come of talking about two shows in a similar-ish area. So For Art's Sake is a show that is set in like an arts centre-type uh, place, sort of a sort of a community theatre-y thing and we've got uh, uh, Jazz who is 25 um, 25 black woman trendy clothes and Emma sitting at who's same age um, sitting at desks and they are stacking leaflets and doing administrative stuff and they talk for a bit and then um, you've spaced it out quite a lot so we don't have so I think your 10 pages are probably Shorter than other people. people's ten pages, yeah. Um, so and then the phone rings, and there's clearly some uh, some events happening uh, further down the line, and then the director called uh, John walks in, uh, who is a little bit of uh, a dandy, um, and then uh, and then he goes into his office, and then in his office he's rehearsing a speech that he's going to be making at this uh, event, and then he is. Um, and then Jazz comes in with the post, and then there are lots of letters, and there's a talk about what letters they're going to do, what they're going to do. They chuck some of the bean and that kind of stuff. And then there's one letter that's sort of left. Don't worry, I'll deal with the rest. This one, and he puts it up at the end, and I'll deal with it later. He says, or I'll deal with this one later. Um, and that's on page ten. Yeah. So. Um. Well, well, I I I liked uh, the um, the way that it started very much. It was very, very straight away, and uh, in fact, it came to you said exactly what's in the script uh, when you describe the two characters: um, Jazz, twenty-five, black woman, trendy clothes; Emma, twenty-four, white, smart clothes. And that's just very very short. That's, we we get a very clear idea of these people, and I think there's that, that, that that's kind of sufficient information almost really of those two characters. Um, and then they um, they they, they are they, they 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 do some business together when they're sort of up on the phone and things. And it's 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 nice, and there's some nice sort of silly stuff 
going on with that. What's good is the first two lines are, are a strong start, where Emma says, I spent three years studying at university, yeah. and now I'm stuffing envelopes. And Jazz says, some of us picked it up after five minutes. Yeah. So, therefore, we, what we pick up from that, from the very first two lines of dialogue, is Emma is over-educated and thinks she's sort of too good for this. And Jazz has much more sort of instinctive knowledge. She hasn't gone to university, and she's just doing this job. Mm-hmm. And, and so the way they she, and she undercuts uh, yeah. uh, um, Emma nicely there. Yeah, yeah. it's like so, uh, it's like oh yeah, you know, it took you three years to learn to stuff envelopes. It's a nice and it's just it really sets the, the two of them up nicely, and that continues, although continues without anything else happening. Unfortunately, again we talk about this about how you you really you really need to get to what is your episode about. We need to we, you need to sort of get to that pretty quickly. And there's still quite a lot of stuff that goes on between them before yeah. before we know what's actually going to happen in the show. And I think what um, uh, what so what's good about this also is the fact that there are, there are only three characters in the first few pages. That's good. Mm. We don't have character overload. It's very easy to figure out what's going on. So um, Emma starts strong. She's clearly too good for this. But I think in this scene, maybe we also need to see, well, what does she think she should be doing? Hmm. Does she want to be a director or a producer? Is she, you know, is she down on her luck and she thinks that, you know, she should be... Is she a frustrated actress? I I don't really know. All I know is that she's not happy where she is. Mm -hmm. That's a good start. But I don't quite know what she wants. And Mm. I'm assuming the show is about all three of them because it's not clear to me that it's about that this is the John show and Jazz and Emma are the two people who work there. I don't get the sense of it's about one girl rather than the other. So we sort of start to... We're going to start to need to know more. And this is tough, you know, this is the first thing that we see, but you've got to give us the impression. And this is this is something I have... I have talked about this before, where I, I did a thing where I read, like, 30 lots of first 10 pages and I spoke to the people about it at a conference a couple of years ago and once or twice people would say oh well that's that that's not the main character uh the main character doesn't appear till page 12 though we're we're assuming that these three are the main characters um and so and and when you send 10 pages to us they don't need to necessarily be the first 10 pages of episode one but we need to know that the people who are in this, and I think, and I'm fairly sure that with these three people, that is the case. So. We we need to know that these are the main people, and I think, I mean, one of the things that I felt with that scene, um, where they're they're kind of doing bits of silly stuff while they're answering the phone, is to just maybe try and make it take it a little bit further and make it a little bit more extreme, and just um, you can sort of get away. One imagines that two people sitting in that office doing that job can sort of get away with doing more there's you know no one's going to come in and say hang on i need i need the, that paperwork to be sent to that bank manager by in 10 minutes time you don't get a sense you get a sense these people are in a, a sort of vaguely creative kind of environment anyway so they can probably kind of muck around a bit more and, and i would say that with regard to so you set up um, emma and jazz well and although that needs to then go further. And then John enters, he's dressed like a dandy. Uh, okay, roughly, it's, some specifics would probably be good. But then he doesn't say anything to build on no. that. Um, his first line uh, when he walks in uh, is, Morning. And then she says, Morning, Mr. Strang. Hello, John. Keeping busy, that's what I like to see. He walks towards his office. And then he does a, 
let's be honest, as he does a bit of a dad joke. Um, oh, there's been phone calls. Oh, in the days and mm. so. Um, John's looks to Emma to see if she's enjoying his joke. Well, I haven't really made a joke, and I know, but don't don't do a non-joke mm. at, at the first. So, if somebody's a dandy and they walk in, they do need to sort of say be something to, set, no, to, yeah. to be a dandy, or to, 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 to play against or whatever. To they be have overly to do. dramatic yeah. in what they say, or and just give them an attitude rather than just a costume. That's um, the thing. always be aware. You've got you, you've got. 30 minutes, it seems like a long time, but actually you've got, there's so many things that you can be doing, uh, and and the first time you see a character, the first, uh, and somebody who's come to your show, um, they've come to episode four, they didn't see the first three episodes, so they're effectively seeing this character for the first time. Every time your character comes on in the the start of an an episode, especially in the first series, they need to make an entrance that that, that does a little bit more than just, oh, good morning, you know. This morning I am the dandy and I have come in, this morning I'm coming in, I'm quoting Shakespeare, you know, he'll come in and say, oh, what light through yonder window or whatever. And you, you, so so we we get the sense of the person. Without you having in, to... In this case, we yeah. in the next scene, he's rehearsing a speech. Mm. Um, uh, the, I, she's called the Lord uh, Worshipful, the Lady Mayor. Um, no, of course I won't say... So he's got to give a speech later. So he could literally walk in and say the first few lines of his speech. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and get no some pretty weird looks. And, they, and then he yeah. says, I've got to give a speech later. Come on, people, yeah. keep up or yeah. whatever he does. But at the moment, it's it's a it's a bit of a flat entrance, which is a shame because mm. you, you know how to do entrances because you did it well with the other two. Yeah. Um, and then at the very end, um, he's got this letter, and for the first time, I want you know I want to know what happens next. Mm. And unfortunately, that's page ten already. And, um, and I think, and um, say to be fair to you, you've done a lot of double spacing there, and that's probably yes. we're probably only at about page seven or eight. Yes. So, but even so, you, I'd, I'd like that letter ideally yeah. on on page four yeah. or page five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, he could even come in with it, um, but at the moment, there's you know nothing's quite escalating enough, and I know you need to set up characters and stuff, but you can set up characters and do story mm. at the same time because the story will reveal what's important about the characters mm. um, and, and what's again, important something, to them. Something we've talked about before is that um, it's, it's all very well coming up with random stories, but, but the best stories often are kind of driven by the characters. Yeah. And so that's, that's the thing. And also, just again, um, it's set in an art centre. I'm, I'm not... I'm not totally picking up an arts centre in a yes. way that when uh, I listen to a show like The Music Teacher on Radio 4 by uh, Richie Webb and it's about a, a guy who's he's, he's, a, he's giving music lessons and he's in a, he happens to be using a room in an arts centre but mm. we just get the atmosphere of the arts centre around him that's, a, that's kind of a secondary mm. thing to him really but I'm not Picking up a sort of funny art yeah. centre in a way like you sort of like you pick up with something like Britos Empire, mm. you pick up that that place yeah. that that uh, where where these people are. Yeah. And, and, and I think again, we, we we really need that because, and also we need to know why is this show in an art centre now? Why do we want yeah. to be there? I mean, is it underfunded because of the Tories and austerity and stuff, which is a you know which would be okay, um, but it just feels like I don't know why we would want to watch this show 
mm. um, in 2016. At the moment, this show could be any point in the last yeah. 15 years. Mm-hmm. But there's a reference to email. That's pretty much all that technologically right, yeah. um, dates it. Mm. So, um, so yeah. Um, so, uh, thank you, Martin, for sending that in. Yeah. Um, I hope what we said is useful. Overall, would I have read past page 10? Yes, I would. Um, because you gave me a cliffhanger, which mm-hmm. I would rather have had on page 7. But, uh, but that's great. Um, the final one we're going to look at today is called The Drama Department uh, by Sheldon Southworth and Andrew Dixon. And um, this is a, um, I would say, a big sort of silly, not quite silly, but mainstream show, probably more Radio 2 than Radio 4 um, in its sort of sensibility. And that is not in any way criticism. Uh, please don't hear it like that. Um, a guy called um, Tony is turning up uh, for work back at the um, perf- uh, performing arts um, uh, staff room at Clagsbottom College, the worst performing future education college in the north of England, it says on the front page. And um, he immediately walks into Leslie, who is a bloke. Please don't give uh, yeah. blokes female names. I know it's about took me a while as yeah. well, um, and uh, Leslie is completely unsympathetic and is uh, obviously a bit of a force of nature. Um, used to work this this Leslie used to work in television and is clearly no longer doing that, and, mm-hmm. and that's uh, a bit of a problem uh, for uh, for him, not her. And then uh, so they're in the staff room, and then uh, we are introduced to the principal, the new principal of the. Uh, the college who has taken over in the three months that Tony has been off because of a breakdown and that's called uh, she's called Dr Littler mm-hmm. and um, she is um, get it Littler Littler yeah rhymes with oh Hitler yes oh okay right I didn't oh, get that yes. um, oh, and <laughs> she is um, the new uh, head of performing arts and again not terribly sympathetic and um, then there is talk of um, somebody coming from uh, an inspection mm-hmm. of some sort and there is uh, easily my favourite joke that I read today which was a confusion between uh, human centipede and the hungry caterpillar um, which I thought was very funny and there's clearly going to be a performance there of the human centipede in some musical yeah. form mm-hmm. and um, it was a very good eight. joke at the end of a showstopper called Stuck in the Middle with You mm-hmm. uh, which is also a very funny joke and um, we, we run out of ten pages it's all one scene which is mm. uh, quite something um, and there are only three characters so there is lots to like here in terms of simplicity of setup and um, and attempts at proper jokes yeah. uh, which again I am very um, uh, very happy with um, it's it's not like the other two at all it's much more big and bold and, and yeah. silly what, what did you make of it Dave? yeah um, well the first um, point I'd like to mention is that there's a very nice uh, little visual gag on the front page um, uh, but the point is this is a, a radio sitcom uh, and um, that's um, I think that's time you should have been spending on the script not coming, <laughs> coming up with a visual I think if I, again the sort of the tired producer who's about to read a radio script and there's a funny little picture to do with it on the front I don't know what that um, but I I like the way it was set up you, you, you get the setup very nicely in the opening two lines and there's that, that actually what you mentioned I I, I 
thought was quite a nice little opening gag. He's coming back, to, uh, Tony's coming back after his nervous breakdown, and you think he's going to be going into the classroom, but actually he goes into the, the staff room, mm. uh, which is nice. And you get very clearly, I uh, found on the first page, I uh, had these two very clear characters. This guy who's just come back from having a nervous breakdown. That tells you so much about a character. So it's a really nice entrance. And then uh, the first person that he comes back to is very annoying. And you've you immediately got these two people who are, uh, who are stuck together because they work together. And um, there's obviously um, the, the, the guy who's... Um, who's been there for three months, you know, he's got a big advantage, big status advantage now over the other guy. But you can see that he's also obviously got his own issues. Uh, and so they're, they're, they're very nice and very, very clear. But very, uh, very quickly, we kind of come away from that and you get into this, there's a, there's, a, there's, there's what I call the, the comedy argument sketch, which, yeah. is, which is something that I find, I do read this a lot in scripts, and um, it's it's the first it's the first place you go when it's the first idea you come up with, and it's whenever if you ever see people doing improv, um, and the, the, your first instinct when you're doing improv is to deny something. When someone comes on and says, on stage and says, uh, uh, "Oh right, okay, so uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to do this," and the other person immediately says, "No, we're not. What do you know about that?" And the, and that's a sort of comedy cul-de-sac, and there's a kind of uh, what this sketch needs is rather than people sort of um, denying each other uh, that they have to say yes to them. You have to say yes and this. Um, and there's this sort of argument about which of the two of them is is a, is, is better. And, and, and one of the lines that Tony has is he says, um, well, just because you were in show business, it doesn't mean you can waltz around thinking you know how to be a proper college lecturer like me. Which is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, no one, yes, no one's ever said that. Yeah, and mm. also it's from a man who's just had three months off with a nervous breakdown. Yeah, so it sort of feels like a very wrong. Uh, either Leslie would then come back with a riposte to that, or um, he would. Um, I, I just don't think he would say it. And he certainly, as James says, he wouldn't say it in that way. Mm. You need to. People need to talk like they talk. You know, I'm not saying. Just, just write down scripted conversation, but just make, just read the lines out when you've written them, and 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 see how would you say that line as a per, you know, it's just not something a person would say. Just find a way, and then there's a, one of the responses is, uh, "What do you mean?" And that's again, I'm sorry, to, I'm like picking on little things here, but that that's one of those classically, utterly uh, redundant phrases. Um, you don't need to say what do you mean because you're having an argument, and the guy, the guy just said, uh, "You're no good. You know, you you can't be as good as me." What do you mean? I picked up loads about teaching. You don't need what do you mean. You just say you like me. I picked up loads about teaching. So you know, look look for these redundant phrases because they slow they slow the script down. You want to get to the joke. Um, and there are lots of good jokes here, and uh, you know, obviously, some of them work better than others. Um, there's a joke about um, putting on a show that has Roy Walker <laughs> acting, and uh, yeah. 
that that's a kind of difficult one because you know a lot of comedians are quite good actors and most people. But the show's called not. but the show's called Goodbye Mr. Chips, so uh, that's got to be fair enough, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, there's a catchphrase reference, but but the, the problem okay. is the okay. thing is the problem is yeah. I think so there are lots of jokes in it, which there's a sense in which when I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh great, these guys like jokes. I know yeah. that's a personal preference of mine. I know it sounds crazy oh, to too. say, but I like me jokes. Too. So there are a lot of jokes, but the thing you then need to be careful of is you end up with the family guy uh, problem which is there's lots of jokes about stuff that's nothing to do with the characters but it's yeah. a reference to people off the TV mm-hmm. and a reference to you know to, we've got references to Fred West and Dale Winton and people like that well A they're dated but I, I, I get that Leslie's career is also dated mm. but if you lean start to lean on those jokes heavily you can get get a few in the first two or three pages so that that, so that the reader is relaxing that you that you know how to do jokes but if you start to keep doing them they start to become a substitute for jokes that should be coming out of character um, so that's something that, that started to worry me as I was reading it and you know as I say the human centipede joke was extremely funny um, but again you can't lean you, 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 you can't build plot around jokes yeah. you actually need plot so at the at the end of the ten pages, I don't really know what Tony is trying to do, other than survive his three month thing. And clearly, someone's coming to inspect them, and there's going to be a disaster with this human centipede musical. Um, but this is page ten, so we mm. should be watching rehearsals of that by now, yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Or, but then that that then sort of. To highlight the other thing, which is this is why mainstream comedy is so hard to do, and which is why I'm always going to cut it more slack. It's because what I like is the fact that you've gone big and bold, and that the jokes are proper. But then the problem with that is then believability. So I just don't believe that you would get as far as actually making a musical of a human centipede in a drama department of a further education college. I think it's a good joke on the way to a plot. Yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Mm. But that's really hard to judge, and that comes partly with experience, partly with instinct, partly with just having a read through in front of other people and seeing how does it go, yeah. um, and seeing at which point the audience sort of stop laughing and go, "Oh, hang on, we're not we're not sure about that." Yeah. So that's why there aren't that many big hit mainstream comedies on because yeah. this stuff is really hard to get right. Yeah. So, um, but I think a way of um, again doing that is just getting the story going properly not leaning on the jokes that you have got too hard what does Tony want what does Leslie want yeah. and then what does um, uh, Dr Littler want when she comes in and and I'm not quite any the wiser at the end other than she's fired some people and it's not going to be much fun anymore she also doesn't seem to know who Tony is I mean, it would be odd to have somebody off sick for three, three days months. Three, sorry, months. three months yeah and although she's arrived subsequently, she would sort of know all this stuff. So there's a sort of, again, all these sort of issues of like believability, I think, do come into play. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, th- those are my main um, comments on, on this script, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, it's very, very hard to get this kind of uh, sitcom right, as, as James says. And one thing I would just say, one last thing I, w- I would add, um, the, um, as I say, uh, we, this is the second one that we've had where the, the inspectors are coming is is the plot and it is a valid plot and but 
I'm starting to wonder, because uh, it is an over-familiar plot, um, whether it's you, you, you've got, got to find some new way of, 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 of delivering that plot now. And the one I always uh, mention, and I know you, you wouldn't... This is banned from the Carey household. I wouldn't... Uh, the, it's, uh, the birth, it's my birthday. Yes. But I still see... And I did see something uh, that had a birthday plot quite recently. I, I, I flowers, I think it was, maybe. Um, but they... Uh, yeah, so... so if you're going to do the inspectors are coming plot, you have to find a new way of doing it because it's it's just too too common a, a, a plot now and it's been used too much. Yeah, that is true, but also this is the very first episode of a sitcom. Is this really the one thing that your main characters are going to... Are we really going to see what they want out of life, why the show exists, mm. and inspection is not... You know, so when we were setting up a show, uh, a sitcom the other day with my writing partner Richard, we th- we were trying to think of what is the best pilot plot, and we went through seventy different plots before we arrived on the one, and even that we're not sure about, and we'll probably chuck it and start again. Mm-hmm. You need to be absolutely brutal in what plot will set up this show right, and I don't think this is it. I don't, mm-hmm. In fact, for all of them, I, I'd be worried about that. But in one sense, these are questions to ask slightly further down the line. Mm. Um, but thank you for sending us your Thanks scripts, everybody. Sheldon and Andrew. Um, I sort and of because of, because of because of Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. I'm now assuming that no one's actually called Sheldon. That that's yeah. therefore a fake name. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Thank you, Sheldon and Andrew. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Ben. Mm. Um, thank you for listening. We're done, and we will be back next time. Please look on our Facebook page, like us, leave us a review on iTunes, look at Sitcom Geek's, um, uh, Sitcom Geek is my blog, mm-hmm. Dave blogs at uh, davecohen.org.uk. davecohen.org.uk. Thank you for um, listening and we'll speak to you next time. Cheerio. Thank you.